Welcome back to Prairie.fm, your weekly dose of sanity in an otherwise insane world. Join us as we explore the office graph, toaster fridges, and other meaningful things. I'm recording, but... Um, so that brings us back to our show notes. Don't exist. Yay. Hey, look at that. That's epic. Um, so uh, a couple things that have been going on. Uh, how much have you played with the graph API? Uh, 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 I am not a developer. So. Um, very much in the same way that you're not a developer, Todd Clint's not a developer. Um, you remember that Azure Resource uh, Explorer? <laughs> um, if this is the part where you come and tell me about this nifty new thing you called called the Graph Explorer, um, I'm gonna like punch yeah. you in the face because the Graph Explorer has been out for years and years and years and way longer than the Azure thing. It's been around forever. No. Nah. Oh, I know. I know it's been around forever, but I think most people have just kind of I, I don't think anybody's skipped it by. It's one of the primary debugging tools for figuring out what's going on in your directory. You've never you've never used this thing before? I have not used oh, it for no. that. But tell uh, me more. Well, if you've ever wanted to check something like a Dursync, like, so, hey, uh, you know, you have that nice outbound projection and you want to make sure that it actually lands in the right place on the other side, Sometimes you can see the outbound mm-hmm. projection from locally, but you just want to get like the nitty gritty for where it lands, or maybe you want to find a uh, a profile property or something. And say, hey, what's Delve doing with this thing? Uh, you can just go ahead and fire off the Graph Explorer against your directory and get a representation of uh, hmm, you know all of your users, all of your groups, uh, all sorts of really cool things. And then if you're developer-y and know how to get at other things. Uh, you can always go ahead and query anything else that the graph has access to. So, uh, you know, mailboxes, all the calendars, all that jazz, files. Yeah, so they've been... Uh, so, <clears throat> yes, I have used it to pull back uh, users in the past and have found that to be super helpful, especially when you're trying to figure out why something doesn't pop up properly or you're trying to get that information back. But... Uh, I guess some of the newer things that they've started to push into there from the SharePoint side um, just found it uh, super handy and useful, I guess you could say, um, for some of those uh, areas that they've recently baked in. But I guess the other kind of cute thing is if you want to go play with some of their beta uh, capabilities, those are out there as well. So you can just pop that up and uh, pull things in. So again... Maybe not something new, and I realize this was the Office Graph in the past uh, that got announced two years ago. Um, but for those of us that uh, do not tinker too much on the dev side, um, IT pros, I guess, you know, go check out the Graph Explorer. It's just uh, graph.microsoft.com, and you can start pulling back results and information about your users. Like Scott mentioned, if you're curious about getting those projections uh, from your users that are syncing through Azure Active Directory Connect. Uh, This is a good way to go validate that they did show up the way you anticipated they would show up. Yeah, what you said. (laughs) And uh, so I think 
what I found humorous about it is just, you know, you look at APIs and whatnot um, for uh, C sharp, JavaScript, whatever in your favorite IDE. Um, but in this case, I mean, uh, I mean, the calls that you make through Graphic Explorer, you know, you can do a post, you can do a get, you can do a patch, you can do a delete. Um, but the string uh, and just the language, I won't call it the language, but just the ease of use. If you say, hey, I'm looking for the manager of this person and you know their user ID, it's a really simple call to just append that slash manager to that uh, string that already represents the user and boom, you have the manager's information coming back in a JSON response. So, Yeah, I mean, welcome to <laughs> REST APIs, right? <laughs> Again, not a developer, so... Oh, shush. Yes, you are. Look at this. Check out all these nifty operations on users that you can make. You can do all sorts of fun can things. Can get their milk money? Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Nice. I mean, you can look up users. You can look up uh, spe a specific user. You can target properties. Uh, you can even do things like... Uh, uh, mm, Oh, I mean, let's see. Well, like you said, you've got getters, you've got setters, you can delete things. Uh, you can even do really nifty things like go ahead and... Uh, uh, what's another thing uh, that we've done with this? Um, oh, uh, users profile photos, right? So uh, you go ahead and you light up your Office 365 tenant and you try and do the ESN thing and you light up some of that hyperfish goodness and you're like, eh... You know, we got a bunch of users that are missing their profile pictures, things like that. Um, you can actually go ahead if you don't have access to uh, the PowerShell commandlets or you just want to kind of wrap your own thing real quick. Uh, you can go ahead and push pictures up. Uh, you can also do getters against uh, those just to figure out what's going on. And it actually returns the image data, just returns it as a, um, an image JPEG straight down in the stream for mm -hmm. you. Uh, so kind of cool yeah and the uh so we we're uh so you can also create accounts that way yeah no, no no and it's it's to me it's just pretty amazing to see all the apis getting pushed into the graph api <clears throat> um, but also pretty cool to see like you mentioned all the functionality around that just being able to quickly go through together you know your call again using rest like you mentioned uh and be able to do this super fanciful way. And I think to me, a lot of folks, they look at uh, SharePoint online and they say, oh, um, it's up in the cloud. How am I ever going to pull this information down? How am I ever going to get these reports built that I need to uh, build? And obviously, I mean, the first thing you say is, have you looked at Power BI and how that can consume all your list data and all your other SharePoint data and do what you need to do as well as other stuff? And they say, no, it's Power BI. And you point at powerbi.com and they go off on their merry way. But other folks, they step in and they look at the graph API and all of a sudden they see that they can, as long as they are an authenticated user, um, that they can do a lot more than I think they realized was possible. All the things. I, I mean, yeah, you can pretty much any action you can think of that's exposed by the graph, right? Uh, so thinking about things as a user-centric world, so... Uh, show me a user and all the groups they're a member of, and then let me perform some actions against that user. So uh, set a photo, uh, change a password, uh, go ahead and um, uh, set their membership. Uh, hey, maybe once I've gone ahead and 
retrieved a list of users. Let me enumerate that list and then go out and view their individual calendars, right? Things like that. So if you've got your service principles constructed the right way and everything, you can go out and just do all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, <clears throat> something else, though. Um, you mentioned Hyperfish. You want to you talk a little bit more about Hyperfish? Uh, that's what happens when fish swim really fast, right? So my, my only knowledge of Hyperfish is that uh, Chris Johnson, um, former yep. Microsoft employee and fellow Microsoft MVP, uh, <clears throat> he is, I believe one of the folks that is a founder owner uh kicking dude over there but uh he's from new zealand that would be correct he would be their cto at uh ignite i stopped by the joyous hyperfish uh demonstration area and mark rackley was in his booth babe attire and he was uh going through um kind of the spiel and uh it was it was interesting to here, I, <clears throat> to be honest, I had never actually taken the time to go look and see what Hyperfish was. So my apologies to Chris Johnson and company, but uh, it was pretty amazing to see what that tool could do. Um, and I almost want to go take that to anybody now that is trying to go through um, getting their Office 365 Azure Active Directory environment in a little bit prettier state. Um, I think that would probably be like one of the first things I would go and say, hey, run this tool against your directory and let's see what information's missing. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty much what it is, right? It's meant to be a holistic monitoring tool for your cloud directory. So uh, all the things that are synced in from uh, your local active directory or, um, and then directory synchronized up to Azure AD. So let's find the holes in the data. Um, so that we can help people have a, uh, a more complete view of the world, right? So Chris actually had a post on his blog uh, a couple of weeks ago that talked about uh, people-centric features in Office 365 that consumers of Office might be uh, missing out on, right? So one of the powerful things about their directory analyzer is it can go out and tell you things like uh, only... Um, you know, 53% of your organization have uh, profile photos. So you, you can identify and kind of uh, home in on these things that need to be improved in your environment. So whether that's uh, profile pictures being filled in, uh, even getting like better contact cards, uh, you know, maybe you work for an organization that's mobile all the time and, um, you know, only a couple of users have something like their mobile phone pop populated into your directory or they don't all have their SIP IDs or things like that because maybe they haven't all been assigned a license for Skype. So uh, who knows what's going on there? Uh, but you can go ahead and drill down into those different little bits. And ultimately what each one of those is gonna do is gonna light up some more functionality in your environment, right? So uh, Microsoft is releasing a new uh, people card experience across SharePoint Online and uh, it very much pulls in like the Delvish information, right? And, and your profile data. So those profile cards look a lot nicer if you have a picture. So by going out and remediating the users that don't have pictures, you can kind of solve that problem and give your users a better experience uh, across the board. Yeah. <clears throat> and you mentioned the contact card. Um, so 
I think uh, when I first saw the new contact cards pop up, uh, I don't know, what was it, two months ago? Or a couple weeks ago. I think, I mean, it depends on where your tenant is, first release and all that jazz. But when they first popped up, I was like, holy crap, that looks amazing. Um, and I was, you know, pretty, pretty jazzed about that. But then uh, today um, in my first release tenant, I was tinkering around. And one of the things that uh, I know they had announced uh, that they, yeah, I guess they announced that was coming soon was the ability to copy from like one SharePoint site to another through uh, kind of a pop-up on the side or to move documents uh, between OneDrive for Business and SharePoint sites. And I know for, I don't know, I guess at Ignite they mentioned this was coming soon um, and being rolled out to first release soon, but all of a sudden, boom, showed up and I was able to easily move a file from OneDrive for Business to uh, a SharePoint online team site. And that was all also driven by sites that I was a part of that's read into that graph API um, to be able to help track that information. So again, graph at work, pretty nifty. Um, I'm definitely jazzed that they're making this more and more usable. <laughs> the graph doesn't have anything to do with moving your files. <laughs> uh, so the recent, it actually does track uh, what your site associations are. Uh, so, yeah, so, but the actual copy and the move and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, the card that pops up. But did you notice that you can, so the way they've rolled that out, you can copy from OneDrive to SharePoint, but you can't copy from SharePoint back to OneDrive? Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh... that, that, that functionality is coming later. <laughs> okay, that, uh, man, serious? Yeah. It's... It's copy from OneDrive to SharePoint. In the coming months, we'll be rolling out the ability to copy a file from OneDrive to a SharePoint document library. Later this year, we'll add the ability to move a file as well. <laughs> um, yeah, that sucks. All in due time, man. You got to roll this stuff out and be iterative. I want my... Interactive... Oh, well. So uh, enumerate and iterate all the things. Yeah, I guess um, I was still excited by the fact that my OneDrive could actually copy a file over because, and this is <clears throat> this is kind of my sticking point, is I know a lot of times in email, uh, if you are using first release Outlook, you have this little function to right click and tell it to save to OneDrive. And that's great. It drops it into your... It drops it wherever the hell it wants. Um, it drops it somewhere in your OneDrive. Uh, I know for the longest time it was saving it to the email attachments folder, and for some reason it's now just saving it to root. Uh, but the uh, the ability to take that file and then automatically have it uh, shift over just through the web UI is pretty nifty. Uh, I did notice that they have a little comment on there that says we will not be able to do files larger than 50 megabytes for the time being. Yep, and you're limited to individual files at the moment, so you're not going to do any big batch moves. So I was really hoping to be able to move those 2 gig CAD files that I can upload now, but apparently I still have to do that manually. <laughs> 2 gig? You're, you're working with small CAD files. 10 gigs, buddy. Well, the, these CAD files are blank. They're just the uh, you know, <laughs> underlying structure. Yeah. On a side note, did you know Visio 2016 can do CAD files now? 
Mind blown. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's crazy. Yep, yep, yep. We can totally open them up. At least view them, kind of, sort of, as long as they're not too complicated. So, uh, yeah, that's my my uh, SharePoint fun for the week. How about you? Uh, I never have fun with SharePoint. <laughs> Uh, never, never, never. Uh, I have been fighting uh, some more with the ODT installers lately and been trying to have some fun with that and going back and forth with uh, some of the guys on that wonderful GitHub repo we were talking about last week because some of their tooling is uh, randomly deleting uh, stuff like uh, Wix tooling and things that it needs to compile the installers or... Um, you know, it's going through some rough times. So, you know, Scott, uh, I think our audience should know that uh, you shouldn't be necessarily telling them to go use this functionality <laughs> if you yourself haven't used it yet. What do you mean? <laughs> I use it all the time. All right. Uh, so just to be... It wasn't that, it wasn't that I don't use it. It's that I use it enough to know how broken it is. There we go. There you have it. <laughs> no. Um, actually, it's pretty good. Uh, they happen to be one of those teams that responds right back to you. And, you know, they, they keep you going and, and get you to where you need to be. Although, I am noticing all sorts of more uh, MUI bugs, too. Uh, what was I doing? Oh, today, uh, I was doing an install. Uh, you know, we're testing packages and SCCM and things like that. And uh, one of those users, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you know, did we push the right package to you? So you open up Visio and you go in and you go to the about page and uh, the whole about page in Visio is all in Spanish. It's like, but all the buttons again are in English. You're like, uh, crap, what do we do? And then you go back and you look and you're like, oh, we didn't do anything wrong. This is just another MUI bug. Sweet. Thank you very much. Um, hey. But at least my dialogue's in, uh, 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 I don't know if you ran into this one, uh, when we, I think we talked about it, right? When Office Online was throwing all the dialogues up in French. So it was uh, doing that. Those, those are back to English now. Well, that's good. Uh, so. We also noticed that some of the, if you didn't have a thumbnail picture, uh, the letters didn't necessarily correlate to your initials. <laughs> yeah, see, photos are important. It all comes back to those. It does. And uh, a little bit of real-time follow-up. You are correct. You can copy files. <laughs> Why do you doubt me? Do you think I was going to be wrong? Uh, I, I'm just, I find it humorous that inside of a document library, you tag a file and you say, I want to copy this file somewhere. And it just pops up inside that site collection and nowhere else. Yep. Um, and that's a copy, not a move too. So, you know, you got to be kind of all over the place. But hey, 2017, it's a thing. It's coming to a calendar near you. Gotta have something to look forward to. If that's the only thing that you're looking forward to, we have some issues. Well, no. Um, Crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, So, let's see. What else do we have? Um, Man, oh, man. Oh, yeah. So, uh, did you notice the article? Is that about a week ago um, from the Azure blog uh, about Contoso Corporation and how they're implementing Azure services. 
Yeah, they have some really cool um, reference stuff up there, and even better than the Azure blog. Uh, are you a member of the Cab? Uh, I didn't know we were supposed to be allowed to talk about the Cab. Uh, yeah, the Cab's public. Anybody can join. AKA.MS slash CAB. Let's see where that takes me. Do, do, do. Takes me to a spinning page cab. So if I go to that, I get a Microsoft IT corporate sign in. Microsoft, yeah, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. AKA.MS slash CAAB, all lowercase, um, takes you to the Cloud Adoption Advisory Board. Yeah, yeah, I tried just 1A. So. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Not that cab, the other cab. Uh, Not the Change Advisory Board, the Cloud Adoption Advisory Board, uh, which did. Uh, blogs, TechNet. So they're on TechNet on the Solutions Advisory Board. Um, yeah, so, so that's one of the groups that puts all this stuff together. So, uh, Contoso in the Microsoft Cloud describes how a global organization is adopting the Microsoft Cloud. Everything from, uh, let's see, their network infrastructure and how they go hybrid uh, with things like Azure, uh, how their private WAN infrastructure is set up, uh, how it uh, goes hybrid with things like ExpressRoute, and uh, even goes into their on-premises directories, how their AD forest is configured, uh, geographically distributes authentication traffic, uh, and how Contoso uses Azure IaaS to provide redundancy for headquarters authentication. So I think my my humor in all of this is I'm wondering what uh, Fabricam is up to. <laughs> is Fabricam still around? It's all AdventureWorks now. Uh, I mean, Microsoft still has some Fabricam stuff. And is it Tailspin? Tailspin Toys. Yeah. But, I mean, if you go look up uh, Fabricam, I mean, they still have stuff out there about Fabricam. I don't think they've officially given Fabricam the boot. They don't update it, though. That's true. Uh, I mean, you can, you can still get those reference databases for Northwind, but Fabricam's tough to come by these days. It's true. Their stock is plunging. Um, they fell on hard times and got shorted. <laughs> I bet you a dollar, Mortimer. Um, yeah. Listen, man, orange futures are all out of whack after the hurricane. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, you you want to trade places? Uh, I don't know about that, but I will say that I have been uh, slightly, uh, slightly nervous about this AT&T Time Warner uh, deal that apparently is... Uh, 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 yeah, I don't know if there's all the talk about it. Um, my concern, and I think this is perhaps what a lot of people are getting at, but probably not, um, was just the fact that all of a sudden you'd have AT&T owning like, uh, you know, the device, but also not the device, but the, the service. And then also a bunch of the services a la HBO, um, that a lot of people just take on their Apple account. So, kind of interesting if you start thinking about the uh, issues that might arise with folks that want to watch Game of Thrones and if they have an AT&T device 
AT&T says, hey, no problem. We're going to let that stream for you data, you know, data free with no charges. And we're also going to give it higher priority than someone on a Verizon device or a T-Mobile device. But I don't think that's what all the regulators are concerned about. I think there's something else. But that's just, you know, my two cents around it. Yeah, you know, this was an interesting one. It actually wasn't supposed to come out until after the election. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was uh, leaked internally, so they've been trying to get in front of it, and uh, they really weren't prepared for it. So they've had a bunch of senators and uh, representatives from the House and other government entities kind of, uh, you know, throwing up their hands and saying, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> you haven't bribed us yet. Yeah, well... I think I did see something that said if uh, <clears throat> Time Warner backed out of it, um, AT&T would get something like $85 million, which seems pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah. it's uh, Was it less or more than the T-Mobile? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, T-Mobile, surprisingly, is up uh, $4 today in stocks, but... Uh, Having tinkered around with their network for two months, um, I can't say that it's all that there is to write home about unless you live in a metropolitan area. You do live in a metropolitan area. And I still have calls drop like crazy, so riddle me that. That's because you live in a house in a metropolitan area. Okay. What is the appropriate use case for being a cell phone subscriber? Stand outside. Or use at and <laughs> Um, because their stuff goes through walls, unlike Verizon and T-Mobile. Uh, so T-Mobile has channel 12, or I guess band 12, channel 12? No, no, channel 12 is PBS. Uh, band 12, there we go. Um, so, yeah. So are you familiar with band 12 at all? Uh, no, but I am familiar with the Hamilton documentary. Okay, so we're just going to shift away from mobile phones. Uh, so you bring up a good point. Uh, this past Friday, is it Friday? Yeah, it's Friday. It was Friday. Um, PBS had something called Hamilton's America, um, which a lot of people referred to as the Hamilton, uh, which kind of walked through the cast of the Hamilton show up in New York on Broadway. Um, believe it was about an hour and a half long. Might have been two hours long. Um, it is one hour, 22 minutes, and 35 seconds. So with PBS commercials, that equates to six hours. Just kidding. It's a... No, there were no commercials. I know, I know. PBS is pretty good about that. Um, but uh, I think PBS, and I have not gone back to look at any ratings of any sort, but I'm pretty certain that uh, they were probably probably had more viewers on last Friday night than they've had in a while. And they, I believe streamed it uh, over the internet. So you can watch it over the internet or you can probably watch it through the PBS app, or um, you could have caught it on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. And it would not surprise me if they are showing it over and over again. But if you have uh, been listening to the music out there about Hamilton and you've read the Chernow book. Um, it's definitely interesting to kind of see where Lin-Manuel um, gets uh, some of his inspiration and just hearing uh, some of the thoughts from many of the different cast members. Yeah. Uh, you know, we watched it last night with the kids. And the most interesting thing about it was my nine-year-old asking uh, when he could go see it. 
and me breaking his heart and telling him that he owes me $4,000 for tickets before we go. Uh, and then uh, they also noticed that that documentary starts about two years before the show was actually released. So somebody had some real foresight to just plop some cameras down and follow that cast and crew around uh, way ahead of time, right? They kind of figured there would be something there. Yeah, the uh, so I guess it was back in... 2009 2011 uh, i don't quite remember what the date was you might remember this better from last night where lynn showed up at the white house and sang just one song uh and they were like huh that's cool um and then uh if you saw it earlier this year where they brought in a bunch of different kids from the dc area and they had a performance basically of the show minus all the, you know, props and whatnot um, there in the White House, which I think was probably quite a treat for the Obamas and the Bidens and everybody else. Yeah. Why didn't we get invited to that? Uh, I think you were underwater and I was also underwater. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, it was, we were watching that thing, and it was like, you know, I've been there. Like, you know, I used to work right next to, oh, you know, I used to walk past the White House every day on my way to work, and uh, I don't miss it a bit. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it was very, uh, very interesting to kind of run through that stuff and uh, watch it all. And then, you know, it was kind of like a mini historical tour. They took everybody through Mount Vernon and uh, a couple of other places as well. Yeah, I think uh, most interesting to me was when uh, they showed where Hamilton's grave was, and I didn't realize that it was in downtown New York City. Well, see, now you know. You can't be taught. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that you walk by it, and I believe it's just like a, what, external grave, outside grave, crypt kind of thing? No, no. I wasn't paying that much attention to the documentary, to be honest with you. I was singing the songs. <laughs> As you do. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think I have probably two-thirds of the lyrics either memorized or know, like, the good <clears throat> good chunks of it. So. Oh, yeah? You're going to drop us a rap? Do a little bit of uh, my spot? Uh, my shot? <laughs> Yeah, spot. your spot. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't don't mess up my spot, Dan. Oh man. Yeah. So that uh, I don't know. That was it. Was good to see that. Just to see something encouraging on PBS instead of the uh, Great British Baking Show. <laughs> really, you're gonna knock the Great British uh, Great British Baking Show? Uh, I'm actually not, but. Um, little secret if you are trying to get uh seasons two or three uh just go ahead and pay the forty dollars to weta here in the dc metro area and get your pbs app access because i have no clue when netflix is going to get it i have no idea what you just said oh okay so uh (laughs) if you are not familiar with the great british baking show um it was i believe on channel four uh, over in the UK, and it's quite a charming television show. Um, so it actually started off on BBC Two, excuse me, 
and then eventually moved over to BBC One. Um, recently, um, they said it was be moved to Channel Four, which is something completely separate over in the UK. And I'm sure for our UK listener, um, they probably understand it a lot better than you or I. Um, and just how the television system and whatnot is run over there. But they have, uh, I think it's series one, um, on Netflix. So if you go out there and you are curious about this show, uh, if you like baking shows and whatnot, um, this one's pretty rocking, but, uh, the people are just so friendly and kind. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to get frustrated. So anyway, uh, if you go to weta.org, it's the PBS channel here in the DC metro area. They have, um, uh, you know, subscription or I guess donorship, but as a part of that being a donor to the WETA, they give you access to the BBS app, um, to be able to access on demand, all the different shows, uh, one of those shows is da, 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 the Great British Bake Off, or I guess what it's called, the Great British uh, Baking Show, I think. Yes. Uh, or you can just go to pbs.org and not have to sign in or sign up for anything and watch them all for free. Uh, so we tried that and did not have the greatest experience. Yeah, you know, I'm playing them in the background right now. It's actually working out pretty well. Season 2, Episode 9, French Week. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, also, uh, I'm going to recommend Season 2, Episode 5, Biscuits and Tray Bakes. Yum. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, Ooh, pies and tarts. Yeah, if you, have, if you have not watched The Great British Baking Show, it is fantastic. <sighs> you heard the man. Go get it now. Um, so Tim Ferriss was probably gouging his eyes out wondering when we're actually going to talk more about technology. Um, so Scott, I know, uh, we're going to be down in Orlando in December when it's nice and warm and there are no hurricanes. Um, what, uh, what's going on down there that week? Uh, that would be live 360 Orlando. Hmm. So, mm, yes, uh, that's that's the one, right? So we've got two sessions. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, running SharePoint in uh, infrastructure as a service. So uh, kind of doing a quick compare and contrast of uh, things like AWS, uh, which now supports Windows Server 2016. Yay. Uh, and uh uh, Microsoft Azure, right? Uh, so we'll go through and kind of run through some of the intricacies of that. And then we've also got a session on uh, Azure Active Directory and directory synchronization and all the fun things that go into that. So much fun. Um, yeah. So if you have not been to Live 360 and you're looking at your training budget and you're thinking to yourself, crud, I've got to spend this before the end of the year, you actually have three options for that week. Uh, you can either go to San Francisco to go to SPTechCon. You can go to Chicago to go to SharePoint Fest Chicago. Or you can be awesome and come down to Live 360 in Orlando where it's warm and sunny except for when it's not but uh it's seriously a great experience um 
I've been a part of the other two conferences and they're both great as well, but, uh, something about being there, um, near Hogwarts just makes it all the more magical. Yeah. Uh, you know, folks can still do early registrations and save a couple hundred bucks with some of the, uh, fancy registration codes. So, uh, since I'm the one that posts the podcast to the website, I guess we'll just use mine. Uh, that would be uh, LSPK38. Uh, and don't even bother putting yours in the notes because I won't put it up on the website. Done. <laughs> uh, and that'll save people 500 bucks, which is pretty good for a five-day all-access pass. It's too bad they don't give us passes for the uh, discounts for the three days as well because I've heard some people uh, lament about that. But uh, such is life. Should be a very good show. All the... Uh, speakers and sessions and everything are already up on the site and uh, it's going to be a rocking good time yeah i think uh last year's most entertaining um i had not been to the luau in the past couple years that i'd been there so going to the luau was pretty awesome and uh it was i mean even as a speaker it's just a blast to be able to go sit down and hear from uh, other uh, speakers some of the different things and um, challenges that they've had to work through uh, using SharePoint or Office 365, or uh, if you feel like, you know, hey, I need to go ramp up on something else, um, there's, what is it, five other conferences, six other conferences that take place at the same time, so there's bound to be something during any time slot uh, that you can <clears throat> kind of jump into and go, holy smokes, this is definitely what I need. Um to help solve this problem over here in my landscape of SharePoint or Azure. Yeah, so it's it's not just uh, a SharePoint or Office 365 conference, right? It's also uh, it's Visual Studio Live, it's Tech Mentor, uh, SQL Live. There's an Azure show, uh, so there's a little bit of something for everyone, uh, and uh, you get some really varied. Uh, technical content across all the different tracks and uh, it's I mean it's always good to go out and and do some of that stuff it's always nice to hop (laughs) Uh, you know I think last year when we were doing it we were hopping over to uh, some of the other Azure sessions and things like that just to see how they're presented in some of the other tracks yeah I think what was always most surprising to me is the SQL server sessions they're always packed I know and it's not like there would only be one session going on at any time. It was, there would be like as many SQL server sessions going on as SharePoint sessions and the SharePoint sessions while well attended. I mean, there was, you know, you could choose from three seats instead of people sitting in each other's laps or standing in the back. So I don't know if they're like giving out cash in those sessions or what it was, but yeah, they were, it was surprising. Maybe they're giving away British biscuits. Those are delicious. So, yeah, and if you uh, if you don't want to use Scott's code for some reason, um, it's LSPK thirty eight. Uh, all right. Um, thirty eight. Are you editing? <laughs> thirty eight. It is. Um, so, do you remember how uh, back in the olden days we used to have test lab guides that would come out whenever Microsoft SharePoint would have a like new capability that come out. Yeah, that was back in the the way way back machine before you could just click a button and have all that stuff spun up in ARM for you. They're back. 
No, no, they've never gone away. Well, I just haven't, I stopped reading them. Test Lab Guides also uh, authored a whole bunch through the cab. Yes, they did. And, you know, uh, somebody that uh, was really involved with that stuff? Dan Usher? Nope. Uh, someone near and dear to both of us. Um, Enrique Lima did a bunch with that group, um, primarily around like desired state configuration and PowerShell, uh, but also some Azure stuff. Um, so yeah, he also helped out with a bunch of that, but just, I think it's, it's interesting to me to see, um, with the push of some of the E5 capabilities out there. Um, and I know there's been a bunch of blog posts out there about E5 and what you can do with it. Uh, but the fact that they are actually putting out these test lab guides to help people walk through and show here is how advanced threat <coughs> threat protection actually works um, and give scenarios that help uh, demonstrate that to somebody. To me, that's, that's pretty big because I know a lot of the time I would sit there and I'd go, okay, how am I going to demonstrate uh, advanced threat protection? You know, I can show a couple different scenarios, but I can't show... Uh, something that's going to be super relevant to somebody in security because security isn't necessarily my job. Yeah. Um, you know, some of that stuff's still a little bit tough. So if you're a partner, uh, you can go ahead and spin up the mod tenants still, uh, and those are pretty good. And if you're a fast track consumer uh, or a really a fast track customer and you're eligible for those services, uh, you can go spin things up there. You get the CIE or anything else. Uh, the, the big problem with all the uh, TLGs has always been getting uh, not necessarily the environment stood up, but test data into your environment. Right. Uh, and, you know, that, that always makes it a little funky, you know. So if you want to really demonstrate something like uh, ATP, you're going to have to run out and not only populate that, uh, you, you know, set up the infrastructure, but you've got to put some users in there. Uh, you've got to start getting some messages flowing back and forth between them and uh, do a couple other things. So, uh, you, you know, there, there's a certain value in some of those other tools that uh, unfortunately aren't available to the entire world. Yeah, so I've come across a couple different things on how to pull data into an Office 365 tenant if you're not a partner. Um, but if you, you know, if you do have access to that uh uh, spinning up um, a tenant with pop, uh, data and whatnot to be able to demonstrate it, that gets you, I'd say, what, 70, 80% of the way. Um, but then actually taking the TLG and demonstrating it, um, to me, that's super key in being able to help people see and understand, oh, that's how that actually works. And wow, that's a real life scenario. Holy smokes. Um, so. Little by little, it's uh, slowly but surely, you know, and how many more little catchphrases can I use? Uh, you know, you're starting to be able to see this um, and not just hand wave and say, see, this works, or yes, they have it. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, some of that stuff, like by the time you do it, like if you're honestly, if you're going to show off ATP, uh, you, you know, you're better off working with a partner or somebody who can get you, uh, or engaging in a program like Fast Track or something else, uh, where you can get access to something that already has uh, data and kind of a canned demo for you. 
because uh, you'll spend forever and a day configuring this stuff just one time, um, all to say, yes, I'd love to do this, and then, dang it, I got to go right back and do it again, uh, you know, in my in my real tenancy. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth on that on that stuff sometimes. I really look at the TLGs as not so helpful for demoing features, uh, but as learning the tool set, right, and what's available. So if you walk through uh, some of those things, so like the ATP one, uh, you know, you're going to go out and create your policies and all those other kinds of things, but you're also going to go out and do things like configure EOP, right, and, and get to run through those pieces. Or if you do uh, like the Dursync demo for... Uh, or the Dursync, not demo, but the TLG for Dursync, it's going to have you do a bunch of different things. So uh, not only do you have to uh, have, uh, you know, the tooling installed, but you have to have an environment that you can Dursync from. So then you go back a step and you say like, okay, well, now I've got to go out and spin up um, a, a VM in Azure, right? And they'll actually give you all the PowerShell and things for that. So you can actually learn a little bit how the VMs are put together and get kind of some of that base knowledge. Uh, and then once you've got a VM, well, now I've got to promote it to a domain controller. And how do I do that with Windows Server 20X, right? And whatever um, variation you decide to spin up and run with, um, you know, so on and so forth and, and go from there. So I think the value is often in uh, not like the demo at the end, but... Uh, you know, I, I kind of treat these things like certification tests, right? They make sure that we're all on the same page, uh, we all speak the same language, and we kind of have the uh, foundational stuff in place. So it's always going to give you a solid foundation uh, that then you can go ahead and branch out from and, and do whatever you want with. Yeah, and uh, I think you also just hit it, you know, straight on the head. Um a lot of the times we scratch our heads when we go, how are we supposed to go configure X? And, you know, we go read the TechNet article and we think we have a clue as to how to go actually do it. But you're right. Um, this is great prep material to actually have that hands-on experience of building something uh, for real. Um that you can take back and hopefully use as kind of that starting point for your own implementation. Implement all the things. Yep. All of them indeed. Um, so I guess uh, we are pseudo running up on time. Um, as a SharePoint professional, uh, what... Ooh, what exactly is uh, something you would say, you know, for folks just entering the Office 365 SharePoint field um, really should focus on if they're looking to land uh, their first job kind of in the SharePoint Office 365 field? And I, I realize that is a super vague question, um, but I know a lot of folks, they see that there are SharePoint job openings. Um, and granted, a lot of their SharePoint job openings don't necessarily always provide the full context of what a job requires. But, um, you know, for someone that's just entering in that doesn't hasn't really chosen between like B 
being a end user, a power user, or a IT pro or a developer, what would you say is kind of a good place to start? Mm. <laughs> uh, well, for which one of those, an IT pro, an end user, or uh, a power user? Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> uh, exactly. those, those, those are all v v very different things, right? Uh, you know, if I'm looking for, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I wouldn't really be, uh, I don't think I would ever look for just a, um, an IT pro for just SharePoint in Office 365, right? Uh, it's a hosted service and you're stuck with what Microsoft gives you and uh, you know, you're, you're below the web app. So you don't have a lot of the controls that you had, uh, in your on-premises farms. So really, um, uh, you know, you need to be a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit more wide in your knowledge and what's going on. Right. So I don't want, um, I, I don't want an old school SharePoint admin to come in and say, uh, well, you know, the way we, uh, upload a profile picture is, um, you know, we would go ahead and maybe use a little bit of CSOM against the property manager and some PowerShell, uh, and we'll load that straight up into SharePoint. Like, well, um, no, that might've worked in your on-prem farm in the way you did it, or maybe you loaded it into a thumbnail in, uh, active directory or something like that, but this is office 365, right? So I want you to go ahead and, um, let's be, do the IT pro thing and use a PowerShell commandlet, right? So let's use that uh, set user profile photo commandlet and go out and do that. Um, but you have to recognize all the inherent limitations that come with that. So uh, what that photo is, what that commandlet's doing is actually uploading your photo into Exchange Online. So now all those users who maybe only had an SPO entitlement, uh, you know, now you got to make sure they have uh, Exchange Online entitlements. So now I want you to know a little bit about license management and um, entitlements and SKU packs and and all the things that go into that. So you know, you tend to go down the rabbit hole with a lot of that stuff, but um, I, I, I guess my point is you have to be a little bit more aware and spend some time with uh, recognizing uh, the limitations of the system you're walking into, right? So uh, you don't spend a bunch of your time banging your head against a wall going, uh, why can't I upload a profile photo to SharePoint when you could have just turned on Exchange Online, um, even just the entitlement to go ahead and load something like that in there. And then it had it flow through every service, right? That would have flowed into uh, Delve, which is built on SharePoint, would have flowed into Skype online, uh, and it would have been available in your email because, hey, uh, you, you know, that thing was already there. Um, you, you know, does, does that make a little bit of sense to you? No, it, it does. Um, I know somebody was asking me a couple weeks ago where they said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm looking to land my first job um, as a SharePoint person, and I I stopped them and I said, well, what exactly is it you want to do? Like, do you want to be the implementer? Do you want to be the uh, project manager that kind of oversees things? Do you want to be a power business user analyst person that uh, sits down with clients and really pulls all the different, like, here's what I want to be able to use the platform for. Um, what, what's your, like, what's your mojo? And they, kind of looked at me and I said, you know, I, I've never really thought about that. I kind of scratched my head and I said, well, it's definitely something to consider thinking about and thinking through. Um, that way, you know, if you say, I want to be the implementer that does all the backend services stuff, you can focus your time on, you know, actually going and understanding how Azure Active Directory Sync works um, or, 
understanding how uh, hybrid can be set up or all the different interconnection points and similarities between on-premises Windows Server, um, Active Directory, and all the different roles and whatnot is what you've got up in the cloud and uh, start looking at that side of things instead of, you know, if you're looking at being a developer, um, understanding how to translate business requirements into uh, capabilities that the platform already has. Um, I know one of the things that you and I always chuckle about is that person that says, aha, I'm going to go build a database that collects list information and I'm going to host it up as a SharePoint app. And we go, you know, Microsoft already built lists inside SharePoint, right? And they've got multiple different list types that are pre-built with content types and all this. And they go, but I can do it better. Um, and we just, again, scratch our heads and say, why are you wasting all this time and effort when the capability is already there for you and you can just go customize it? So, uh, you know, to me, it's... <clears throat> helping the person really focus in on the area that they want to uh, actually go do. Um, otherwise, you know, they're going to spend their wheels trying to learn how to be a developer when really what they want to do is be a project manager and they should be learning uh, components of fast track and learning how to use Microsoft project. <laughs> uh, uh, we should all know how to use project, right? Mm, should. A little bit of resource loading here and there. It's good. It's good for everybody. Yeah. No. I. I mean, it's it's a it's a tough question, right? I think if you're just entering into it, uh, you can't really pick and choose between being a uh, just a developer or just an IT pro, right? So I, I mean, we started out this conversation uh, talking about things like the graph. So uh, you, you know, I'm not one to go and open up Visual Studio. Uh, but I can certainly go poke around in the graph explorer uh, and I know how to invoke rest methods with PowerShell uh, and obtain authentication tokens and things like that. So, uh, you, you know, you, you have to uh, be willing to branch out and do those things because it, it, it doesn't uh, it, it's not in your favor to say. Uh, I'm just this or I'm just that other thing, right? So I wouldn't expect my developers to come in and know, um, really know how to configure Exchange Online to the nth degree, right? They, they shouldn't worry about things like, um, uh, you know, SPF records and DKIM and uh, all those other things, but they better have an understanding of how uh, DNS goes and domain verification goes and what that means and what that impact is to our tenancy and the users that are up there and um, how we provision things, right? So when I say, hey, go out and write this thing in the graph and create a user, um, they actually understand what's going to happen in the background and, and all those things that uh, go on behind it. So, you, you know, you've got to be willing to branch out and do a little bit more. You can't be so, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, so nearsighted and uh, continually just squint at the things that are far away. Uh, you, you know, you've, you've really got to um, be willing to take a wide look around and get involved with a little bit of it. Uh, you know, I think it's a lot easier when you're on-prem to say, uh, no, I'm not going to do that, right? So I'm going to be just the uh, Active Directory administrator. I'm going to be the Exchange guy or the SQL guy or the SharePoint guy. And when you go to the cloud, you have to be a little bit of all of those things. Uh, just to be successful at, at what you want to do. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <clears throat> not uh, not opening up and really embracing at least your touch points is uh, will be very very career limiting. So yeah, um, you mentioned one last thing that 
probably want to close out with, but uh, did you break the internet last Friday? <laughs> DNS is hard, man. Um, <laughs> and you should really take all your um, IoT toaster fridges offline for a while. Yeah, I so I read about, uh, I guess, the whole... Um, so, you know, hard may seem hard to believe, but I actually took part of last Friday off to go... Uh, check out some wine breweries and whatnot. And um, yeah, wine breweries, I guess they're called vineyards, uh, vineyards and breweries and whatnot here in Virginia. And lo and behold, um, somebody sends me a link to, I think it was a Gizmodo site. And they were like, did you, did you notice this? And I said, no, what are you talking about? I haven't been online really that, that much today. Um, and it was uh, interesting to see, just uh what was going on and i guess did they they said it was uh some sort of botware or botnet army um that took down or at least caused a uh, ddos against dns yeah so uh there's um hmm. Uh, so there, there's only a couple of companies that make some of these IoT devices, right? So whether it's uh, cameras, your toaster fridge, you know, your uh, your Wemo switch in your house, and uh, things like that, um, uh, they're all tied into uh, y- you know the internet, and a lot of them have uh, baked into their firmware usernames and passwords and backdoors. Uh, so what happens is uh, these botnets spin up and they're built to specifically target devices. So uh, one of these botnets, um, it's, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher it, um, uh, Mirai, uh, M-I-R-A-I, yep. uh, was one of the big ones that came into it, right? Uh, so it's just this huge botnet made up of everything from uh, IP video cameras to uh, cracked Wi-Fi routers, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and they were flooding um, DIN's DNS service. Mm-hmm. So, and when they flooded the dynamic DNS service, uh, it just, uh, yeah, I mean, they were sending in such massive amounts of traffic uh, that it started to affect downstream providers, right? So if you looked at level three's outage map on Friday, um, it was just this hilarious red thing. You know, it was a big blob on the East Coast up in, uh, like New York City and Boston and maybe down to about D.C. Uh, on Friday morning. And by the end of the day, it had encompassed uh, most of the continental U.S., right? Just getting uh, absolutely hammered um, by this stuff. So uh, the problem is because all of these devices uh, get hacked and then they're effectively sending uh, what appears to be legitimate traffic uh, that the network providers really can't do much about it, right? They're they're just seeing uh, bits flowing across the line and they're saying, cool. Yeah, looks good to us. Uh, let it reach its de- let, let, let it reach its destination, and uh, you know, go on from there. So, um, interestingly enough, uh, one of the major companies that makes a bunch of that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, they're gonna issue a recall in the United States for some of their stuff. Really? So I know um, one of the things that I hear about quite often is. You know, user, and we talk about this when we talk about Azure Active Directory and directory synchronization and password synchronization. Passwords are hard. And it sounds like uh, the Mariah botnet um, 
used, you know, known or default passwords on a bunch of these different devices to uh, compromise them. And if so, there's a eWeek article that was put out this afternoon, and it talks about um, the Mirai has been implicated in the one terabyte per second attack against internet service provider OVH. I have no clue who that is, as well as a 665 gigabyte per second attack against Brian Krebs. And that's just ridiculous. Like, holy smokes, Joel Ward, turn your toasters off. Yeah, no. Um, I, I mean, it's it's interesting stuff, right? And it's, uh, it's interesting to see the response. So uh, one of the things that some folks are calling for is companies like Amazon to uh, not even sell these devices, right? So if you willingly know that, or, or if you willingly sell this device where you understand the security posture of the device is poor to begin with, uh, why even go ahead and uh, put it in the hands of users and, uh, you know, especially people who aren't going to be able to configure it or know what's going on there. So are you talking, so there's an article about here, um, the Chinese electronic firm, uh, I have no clue how to pronounce that, um, will recall some of its IoT devices, including webcams, after they were uh, said to be widely exploited. That would be it. Yeah, that's crazy. So I guess, you know, tip for the week, uh, don't break the internet. <laughs> um, there's actually, uh, there is a service, so you can go out to... Uh, it'll perform a deep scan against your internal network uh, or look out on like Shodan. Uh, yeah, no. So uh, there's a, uh, let's see if I can find this deep scan. Ah, yes, that is it. Uh, have you ever uh, seen the uh, IoT scanner? No, I haven't. So this sucker goes out, and uh, it would help if I was actually able to put the URL. I want to... Is that the article or the item from Lifehacker earlier today? Uh, maybe. Um... Yeah, iotscanner.bulgard.com. Yeah, but you should have known about this before you saw it on Lifehacker. Check if I am a showdown. Sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have time to explain what that is to you, but uh, go read Troy Hunt. He'll tell you all about it. Huh. That's uh, crazy. Yep. Do a deep scan. Uh, I'd prefer not to, but okay. <laughs>